All right, it's um, August 16th, 2014. Amazing, Pete, that we've gotten this far. This is Solder Smoke yeah. 164. We're calling it Ancient Tribal Knowledge, Tube and Tube-like Radios. Uh, Pete has been uh, encouraging me to, to do this show about tubes, and it just seems like it's at the right moment. I mean, the radio gods are, are calling for us to talk about tubes and tube-like radios. And I'll explain a little bit about that second part of the title as we go through this. But first, we always like to begin with um, workbench update so that both of us can sort of describe what is going on on the bench. And I thought Pete should go first. So N6QW, over to you. Great. Good morning, Bill. And good morning to the solder smoke audience. Uh, I'd like to just share what's on the workbench right now. Uh, two major things that I'm working on. One, here's a shameless plug for an upcoming article in QRP Quarterly, uh, part three, called uh, the CW Sender. And uh, myself, along with a local ham here, Ben, KK6FUT, has, uh, has been working on this part three article that essentially takes an Arduino and uh, takes your keyboard and your computer, a little LCD display, and uh, essentially, when you type on the keyboard, it, uh, it will key your transmitter, provide you a side tone, and uh, just makes it a lot simpler than, uh, you know, trying to work a bug or a mechanical key. And the, the, the real advantage of this is uh, perfect CW sending. <laughs> so, some sending is a little sloppy. <laughs> the Arduino uh, is the leveler. <laughs> it, it, uh, it makes it come out so nice. The, and the equalizer. The equalizer, yes. And what's uh, what's so nice about that is you get to see what you're sending on the screen, so it can help your typing skills. And we also have a scrolling LCD display. And I should mention that in 1974, W6CAB uh, had an article in Ham Radio called the Code Mill, and he essentially built one of these uh, devices that used a lot of discrete logic and diode matrices and. Uh, uh, it was uh, quite advanced technology for the time, and he indicated that uh, it cost him about $100 to build that. And if you put that in today's dollars, that's $250. So uh, the Arduino expenditure with uh, with all the associated hardware, because everything is being done by the Arduino essentially, is $25. So for, for about 10% of the cost <laughs> in, in today's dollars, you, you have much more of the capability. So... Uh, uh, that's one of the things. So uh, if you're not a member already of uh, QRPC, uh, QRPRC and uh, or signed up for QRP Quarterly, please do so because uh, this this would be a real, uh, a real neat device to have around the shack. Uh, the second thing actually deals with the subject today. I, um, I uh, participate in a vintage sideband roundtable net uh, once a week here and uh, lots of guys in Southern California uh, drag out their vintage tube gear. And so you hear some of the Collins and some of the National and some of the Heath kit and, uh, um, and names that are no longer manufacturing equipment. And so um, I, I've, I've said, you know, this would be kind of neat. And I've been uh, making some acquisitions, uh, very inexpensive acquisitions, and uh, have been recycling that. But more about that when we get to the tube section. So that's what's on the bench uh, right now, Bill. Arduino. Wow. Exciting. And it's sort of, sort of a, a kind of a contrast with what we're going to be discussing here. You're on the, you know, they're out there. But, you know, I love Arduino. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really that, that much of a digital kind of guy, but the Arduino with the Italian connection definitely caught my attention. And I have one 
I have a couple of them in the shack here. I have one set up to run my 10 meter CW beacon. And I have another one as a kind of a little signal generator that I use in the uh, work on the crystal filters. But we've talked about that. But I, Pete, am in the grip of regen madness. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's, yes. It's, it's not as bad as reefer madness, I understand. There used to be an old movie like yeah. that. But I'm in regen madness, which is, I think, almost as bad. And I, I partially blame you because, you know, when you said you wanted to do the tube show, I said, all right, well, I've got to do something tube-ish, uh, at least, to sort of have something to talk about as we delve into ancient tribal knowledge and ancient radios. And I've had up on the shelf behind me here for years now a, a British regen radio that I picked up at the Kempton Park rally outside London. I think I, I think that was the year that I met up with Tony Fishpool at the at the rally, and I bought this thing, and it's been following me around ever since. And you know, I have this deep kind of suspicion of, of regenerative receivers. I, I have kind of explained that I think that they actually might be somehow possessed, and they might be kind of a demonic element to it. You know, people talk about you know black magic and the black arts and all that and stuff. And so I, I I've been suspicious of regens, but. You know, I said, okay, let me pull this thing off the shelf and I'll see if I can get it going. And that'll give me something to, to talk about on um, on this episode of Solder Smoke when we talk about, you know, tubes. Anyway, uh, I, uh, I pull it out and I start looking at it. I start poking it around. I could trace out the schematic. It's obviously a two-tube regen, probably from the 1920s or early 30s, built in the UK. All the parts, most of the parts are Eddystone. There's these beautiful big uh, variable capacitors in there, one for the throttle, one for main tuning. It, there's two tube sockets, so one is obviously going to be the regenerative detector. The other one's going to be an audio amp. I went onto the Internet and tried to get people to sort of come up with a suggestion about what the, where the schematic might be found, and nobody really had any ideas. But the schematics for these rigs are all pretty standard. They're basically Armstrong uh, circuits with a tickler coil and uh, a throttle capacitor. So I kind of dug around on the internet, but in the, in the, as I was doing this, my, uh, I kind of wimped out because I was going to do it with tubes, but then the thought of messing around again with high voltage and building a high voltage supply for this thing and then plugging a high voltage supply into a rig where the, um, the chassis is made out of wood with a whole bunch of wires and wires and uh, underneath the wood, the wiring is all like screw posts with big pieces of wire going across. It's really, really basic. I kind of I kind of wimped out, so I decided that I would use the same all most of the parts, as many of the parts from the original receiver that I could, but instead of the uh, detector tube, I would use an MPF 102 JFET, and instead of the audio amplifier, I would use an LM 386 uh, chip, uh, violating yet again yet another of my principles, no chips. But I figured, well, in for a penny, in for a pound, and I'm already trading tubes for uh for for jfet so what the heck might as well go you know the full monty and put an lm386 in there instead of the audio <laughs> triode but anyway that that was what i was uh, working on last weekend and i found myself at several points really cursing myself and saying how many times do i have to learn the same lessons about the demonic nature of regen receivers but i kept at it because all the articles talk about how how really simple these things are and how easy it is to get it going and all that. And I'm thinking there's, there's got to be something wrong. So I kept poking at it. And, and you know, 
the uh, I remember a principle. One of the principles that I always keep in mind when I'm building a receiver is that after you finish building it, there's always a period of kind of squeezing a signal out of it. You've got to do a lot of adjustments, a lot of corrections, a lot of tuning. It's not like you build a homebrew receiver, you throw the switch, and this beautiful audio pours out. That doesn't happen very often. It usually is a lot of tweaking and peaking and adjusting and correcting mistakes and things like that. So I kept at it, and man, was it worthwhile. I take back all the bad stuff I've said about regenerative <laughs> receivers over the years. So that's quite a, quite a lot of bad stuff because I've been talking them down for a long time. I take it all back. It's amazing. I'm really, I'm really loving this thing. Uh, they are demonic no more. Let me tell you this morning, this is something that, that listeners to Solder Smoke were really identified with. I had one of those great early Saturday morning moments this morning. I'm sitting here. I got the receiver turned on. I've got pictures. I've got, I've got uh, videos of it up on the, on the blog page. But I flip it on and I'm tuning around. It's real early in the morning. And I, I get Radio New Zealand South Pacific service, probably on the 25-meter band, the, uh, the shortwave band. And it's, it's coming in and it's really, really nice. The audio is really clear. And they go and they say, and now we're going to have Dave Brubeck's take five. And he goes on. And it's coming through. And I'm sitting there. I'm thinking, listen, look at this. Look at this. I'm, I've, got my, my, I've got the coffee cup in my hand. I got my feet up on the workbench. There's this receiver that was built maybe by some kid in the UK in 1935. Um, I've got an MPF-102 and an LM-386 in there. It looks great. And here I am listening to the South Pacific service of Radio New Zealand playing Brubeck's Take 5. It was a beautiful moment. I know you can identify with it. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did something a little bit different on this one. I, I you know, the, the copper box, uh, the copper chassis. I, I wanted, I mean, the, the the wooden box. I wanted to put some copper on top of it. I figured it would be good for for shielding and ground plane purposes. So I used some of the copper flashing that I had picked up when I was stuffing copper flashing inside the box for the uh, for the Bidex twenty forty. And so that it looks actually it looks real nice. It's got this nice kind of copperish glow over the whole thing, and it seems to work pretty well. But also, I, I'm, I'm just, like I said, I'm so enthusiastic about the, the region. I want to just point out a couple of articles. One, three cheers for, for Charles Kitchen, who's a real uh, guru of, of regens. His call is N1TEV. And I was very fortunate to come across an article from the, um, let me see, it's the November-December issue, November-December 1998 issue of QEX. It's available online. You don't have to be an ARRL member. It's part of the uh, kind of the open collection there. The title is High Performance Regenerative Receiver Design. And it's a, it's a pretty extensive article, but it's great. And I, I basically built the high performance regenerative receiver that he he describes with the uh, with the JFET, the Armstrong Tickler, the throttle control, and the IC audio amp. Um, so that, that was a lot of fun. And then just let me, I, I found this quote. And it's from another great article, sorry, another great article about regens. And I found this one in QRP Power, the book from uh, the ARRL. It's a reprint of a uh, September 1992 article by Dave Newkirk, WJ1Z, who I believe is the, the, uh, the son of the fellow who wrote the How's DX column for many, many years. Oh, Remember, yeah, I yeah, love that yeah. column. Yeah. Remember the, yeah, the yeah. pictures of all the yeah. exotic homebrew DX stations. 
Well, Dave, David Newkirk wrote um, this article about a 40-meter regenerative receiver you can build. It's, uh, this one actually uses tubes, and it uses a, a power supply. It's only a 135-volt power supply, so I guess that wouldn't be too hazardous. But he concludes with a kind of a poetic moment. A lot of these uh, technical articles from QST and QEX are, are really very, very dry. I think we've talked about this before. But I was really pleased that, uh, that David included uh, a, a kind, of a, kind, of a, kind of a poetic quote here. It says here, No other text I've seen captures the regen's magic better than this passage from the November 1929 issue of ARRL's The Radio Amateur's Handbook. And here's the quote. And now, when the receiver has been built, adjusted, and placed in satisfactory working condition, it will be permissible to sit back and take a long breath. For the receiver is one of the two essential parts of an amateur station. If the receiver has been correctly built, and if the location of the station is satisfactory, it will receive as far as any transmitter can send. If it has open tuning scales, if it has lots of sensitivity and amplification, and if it is smooth and quiet in operation, it will be a very great comfort and a source of splendid pleasure. There you go. Kind of says it all. Amen. Amen. <laughs> we hear you. There you go. It is is that the article that the uh, chassis is is long? That's it's a right. uh, it's a long long chassis, and it's got uh, the tubes all in the line there, and. Uh, yeah, that's, that's it. it. I, I've got that one. Yeah, th there it yeah. is. Yeah, it, it, it yeah, looks really nice. Um, yeah, you know, he. I just noticed though when I was looking at it, he uses um, a 50k pot for the regen, and uh, Charles Kitchen said he prefers the uh, throttle capacitors, but I guess there's a lot of you know to each his own in this thing, but um, but really really nice. And I you know I continue to improve on the uh, the one the, on the regen that I'm working on, but wow, I mean I'm, it's it's fantastic. I can tune. Let me see. I'll tell you what the tuning range on the thing is. Uh, it tunes from uh, 6.7 megahertz all the way up to almost 12 megahertz. And um, so I get two major shortwave bands. And, and I'm finding that I'm really enjoying it mostly as a uh, shortwave listener receiver. You know, I, I think a lot of us have gotten the idea that the shortwave broadcast stations are mostly gone. And it's all either... Chinese propaganda or, um, you know, kind of uh, religious broadcasting. And I'm finding that's not the case. There's a lot of really interesting stations to listen to, such as the Radio New Zealand station that I heard this morning. It was really cool. They, had the, at the, they signed off with the Kiwi birds chirping, which is really kind of cool. Right. And then uh, I was listening, I've listened to Radio Australia a lot. The Voice of Vietnam has an amazing shortwave schedule, and I was listening to them the other day. And that that's really interesting. So, Voice of Vietnam, Radio Australia, a lot of a lot of Chinese broadcasting too, of course. But there's a lot of stuff out there. Radio Cuba, Radio Havana, Cuba, all the time. You know, very close and very strong. And that's kind of fun to listen to. It's nice to have. They play a lot of the nice Spanish Guajira music, and so it, it seems appropriate. It's, it seems like that's the kind of music. It's almost like the same era of the uh, of the the front of the radio. So it's a, kind well, of a real throwback yes, kind yes. of experience. But uh, anyway, that's uh, you could you could tell my enthusiasm. I've been my uh, again. I take it all back. I'm sorry for all the bad things I said, and I strongly recommend building uh, a regenerative receiver. There's nothing demonic about them. They just they're a bit finicky, but it's 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 a real it's a real fun radio experience. 
a, a postscript to that, uh, Bill, is that uh, actually uh, the Type 19 wireless set made in the UK was a uh, regenerative uh, receiver, as was the Paraset. So, I mean, uh, they were they were sending the uh, the operatives behind enemy lines during World War II armed with a regen receiver. So, um, you know. Yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, and yeah, you know. That shows up, and there's a book called The Spy Catcher by Peter Wright. And it's a kind of a classic book about uh, about that era, and in it he talks about the dangers created by using a regenerative receiver because they're they are they are little transmitters, you know. Um, I noticed that in both um, David Newkirk's article and in Charles Kitchen's article, they put a buffer stage uh, between the antenna and the uh, and the regenerative <clears throat> detector. Now, you could run it without it, but there's an advantage of using it. I think one of the advantages also is that you're putting out less RF on the antenna. Uh, isolation. Yeah, yeah, I think, but also I think when you're using the MPF-102, uh, it's a real, I mean, it's down, it's, it's, it's operating at milliwatt range. So I think you're, you're, you're okay there. The, the FCC has not uh, been kicking down the door here since I've been running this thing. So I think I'm, and I think I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> You know, and there's regenerative elements too. Also, let's face it: the uh, the my beloved uh, Drake 2B has a uh, a Q multiplier sitting next to it, which is essentially a regenerative element, right? I dropped out. I don't know what happened. Yeah, got some note here, but we're back. We're back. Yeah, we'll just continue. We'll just drive on. But anyway, I think that brings us to the next thing we wanted to talk about. Oh, we wanted to talk about Grayson's book. Magnificent. All right, let me get let me get out of here. We got to formally plug it. This is just like on, this is like on big on TV. Like, like it's just like the uh, the Jay Leno show. We're gonna plug the book. Hold on. All right, we've talked about it before, but a second edition at, is out. It's called Hollow State Design: The Art and Science of Building with Thermotrons, by Grayson Evans. His call sign: Tango Alpha Two Zulu Golf Echo. His U.S. call sign KJ7UM. Grayson's a, a longtime solder smoke listener. He lives in uh, Ankara, Turkey, and has produced, as uh, Pete said, an ama- amazing book called Hollow State Design: The Art and Science of Building with Thermotrons. And, and it's really beautiful. I mean, uh, I, I'm I'm jealous because I've done a number of books like this. Well, you know, well one book, one electronic book, and a couple of others. But Grayson. He put a lot of work in it. The charts, the diagrams, are, the pictures are just amazing. But I, and I know you've been looking at it in more detail, Pete. What do you think? I, I think it's a, a really an excellent resource. Uh, instead of having to visit 100 uh, Internet sites uh, in this one book, you've, you've got a lot of information. What I particularly liked about it is uh, it's a really good b- blend of the technical plus the practical. Uh, if you say, gee, I'd like to build a VFO, you, you can go right there, find a circuit, and you know it's, it, it works, and, and he's, uh, he's explored it, and it's got excellent photographs, excellent documentation, uh, has a smattering of transceivers and what have you. And, and one particular thing caught my eye, Bill, was uh, there's that receiver in there that the guy built that uh, he uses all these inverted chassis as compartments. And he, he uh, connected all the chassis together, and then the actual wiring is done on a PC board. It's screwed to the, to essentially the chassis are inverted. So you have all this isolation, and, 
and everything is done with terminal blocks. I mean, it, it, it looks like a military-type receiver or transceiver or transmitter, I mean, the way it's done. And I said, man, that is really slick. So, uh, I mean, that, just seeing that was worth its weight in gold. I mean, it, and it's big, Bill. Lots of roomy space uh, to build things in there. Yeah, I know. It's uh, it, it. There's amazing stuff in here. And I, I in the second edition, um, Grayson sent us a note saying that he had been listening to uh, one of the other uh, uh, tribal knowledge segments of, of Solder Smoke, and he had re- picked, takes, taken some of idea some ideas from some something that you and I were talking about. And so when the second edition came out, he he, he threw some of those ideas in there, and I can see them. It's in chapter ten. Uh, designing thermotron oscillators and i was really delighted that he took a quote from you <laughs> and, yeah and he put it in the book you know you're now you're in you're in hollow state design and you're in experimental methods for rf design you know centuries from now when the uh, electronic archaeologists are going through this stuff they're going to say obviously giuliano was was a leader and he, he because he spoke of tribal knowledge he must have been a leader of the tribe <laughs> yeah there you go and, and they're right they'd be right but here's the quote from uh, Pete Giuliano N6QW on page 187 of Hollow State Design. Quote, the only difference between an amplifier and an oscillator is the amount of feedback. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know, I know, I've been there. But really a nice book. It's available from lulu.com. And uh, I, I really I really suggest you take a look at it. If you just go to, look up lulu.com and then search for Hollow State Design. It'll take you there. Lulu will get you the book very quickly, very reasonably priced, and something that you'd be uh, you know, proud to have on your, uh, your bookshelf. And then here's the bio. Grayson Evans has been a licensed amateur since 1962. He grew up building stuff with thermotrons, vacuum tubes, and never lost his love of these marvels of industrial design. He has spent over 40 years in the electronics industry, primarily in consumer home automation products and he is bored to death with solid state (laughs) (laughs) i had to get that shot in there grace all right okay all right we're here and and we're 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 following through he likes to use the term thermotrons so um there we go ah we're talking about books and i gotta i gotta make a recommendation we do book reviews here on the on the show from time to time pete and i have found a book and my wife got me a uh, a new cell phone I now have an iPhone 5S Super Super S. I have the latest version of the iPhone. And I'm telling you, it's an amazing piece of technology. I throw that thing in my pocket. Some of the videos I put up on, on the blog were shot with the iPhone 5. And I upload them to YouTube just with one punch of the button on the phone. I never have to go to the computer. Just zing, it's up there. It, it's amazing. It's got all kinds of mapping equipment. I'm listening to other podcasts. Um... And one of the big features is I can read books on it. So uh, on Science Friday with Ira Flato, a little while ago, they recommended uh, a book by a mathematician named Stephen Strogatz. And it's called The Joy of X. Not the other joy, but this is the joy of just plain X. And it's a, it's a great book. What, what Strogatz does is he basically walks you through high school and college math courses and he tells you the why behind it. In other words, in school oftentimes they just taught you how to manipulate the formulas, how to get the derivative. But they never told you really how it would be used or or why these 
manipulations, how they came about, what are the, what's the history behind them, what's the logic behind them. But this guy has to be the world's one of the world's great math teachers. He's the kind of guy you wished was your math teacher when you were in school. And I'm really enjoying the book. He takes you through just about all the, 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 the fields of, uh, of mathematics from arithmetic all the way up through calculus, differential equations, uh, statistics. Really great stuff. And I'm, you know, what, what, what brought this to mind, Pete, was when he was talking about the calculus, he talked about, I think it was when he was in, in the calculus chapter, but he said, he used a line, and I, I, was, I was on the Washington Metro, and I kind of g- gasped and sat back. He said, to understand this, it requires a lot of noodling. <laughs> noodling. Where have you heard that? Uh, where have yeah. I heard that before? I thought you invented yeah. that. Maybe you yeah. did. Maybe you should pay you for that. But uh. <laughs> Yeah, right. All right. And then as long as we're talking about books, here's uh, the, uh, as the uh, click and clack the Tappet brothers would, would put it, here's the Shameless, shameless Commerce, Commerce Division. Shameless <laughs> Commerce Division. Yeah, yeah. I, got, I, uh, I wrote another book. I wrote... Uh, Yet a third. Some people will tell me, stop, stop. That's enough. <laughs> but uh, this one doesn't have anything to do with radio. Well, sort of has something to do with radio. Uh, it's called Us and Them, An American Family Spends Ten Years with Foreigners. And what it is, it describes the experiences of uh, our family, my family, uh, during the ten years that we spent in Europe. We left in 2000, came back in 2010. And it just, I mean, listeners to the show will have heard, you know, bits and pieces of it because on every show I, I talk a bit about what the family's been up to and where we've been traveling. And uh, that's, that's quite a bit about what this book is like. But it's, it's, it's a little bit beyond that because it talks about how the overall experience of, of 10 years overseas sort of changed the way we look at things. And I think, I think listeners to the show will like it because it's sort of background on some of the people that they've been hearing about. And also, I note that uh, uh, a lot of people who listen to the show, especially when those episodes when we were in Europe, wrote in talking not so much about the electronics, but they liked a little bit of the travelogue that I was providing at the beginning. So there it is. That's that's our plug for, uh, for the third book, this one, mine, Us and Them, An American Family Spends 10 Years with Foreigners. It's available on Amazon as a print book. It's also available from Amazon as an e-book. And it's also available from you, from Lulu, the same company that's putting out Grayson's book. And um, you could find information about it. You know, there's a link up on my uh, on the on the Solder Smoke page. But if you're looking for a, a more specific link, it's just all one word: us and them book at uh, us and them book dot blogspot dot com. Us and them book dot blogspot dot com. All right, so concludes the uh, shameless commerce section of, uh, of this week's <laughs> book. Now, now it's time to talk tubes. Over to you, Mr. Giuliano. Okay, very good, Bill. Well, you know, uh, uh, you are uh, citing uh, a reference from Grayson's book uh, with regard to having grown up with, uh, with tubes uh, over 40 years, and I, I guess my uh, time horizon is just a little bit uh, longer than that. Uh, actually, I sort of got started uh, even with solid-state devices uh, going back to the CK722, the Rapion transistor. That was in the early 50s. But uh, solid-state devices uh, operating the high-frequency range uh, just weren't quite available yet, so uh, you had to resort to tubes. And it's something that I, that I grew up with, uh, building one-tube transmitters and one-tube receivers and 
just uh, really enjoying, uh, uh, you know, having these, like you said, the thrill of getting the regen to work, you know, and, and once it was working, you're saying, man, this is amazing. So I, I think uh, my, my love for tubes, even though I'm very involved with a lot of solid-state devices, goes back to early history. I mean, we're, we're kind of a product of our experience, and my experience uh, goes um, back to the, the late 50s when I started uh, you know, making a little money cutting grass and uh, I could buy radio parts. <laughs> so, uh, so I think uh, my, my roots go back to, to a time when that's the only thing that was available. But uh, tubes today, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting to see that even with the availability of all the solid-state devices, uh, the high-end audiophiles do not have solid-state devices. They have tubes, and there's just something about tube radios, and there's something about the sound coming from a tube radio that's uh, decidedly different than something you get from a solid-state radio, and you, you can tell. Uh, as a matter of fact, um, I have two transceivers sitting side-by-side. Side. I have a Collins KWM2, and I have a Tentec uh, Omni 6 Plus. I can tune the same station. I'll listen on the Collins, and somehow it sounds better. It's just uh, the warmth of the tube. So there's uh, not only is it the warm glow, but uh, at the same time, it's the the fact that uh, uh, they just sound better. And uh, you know, even the and also I want to just I want to just throw in that you mentioned the warmth of the tubes. They they sound better, and this is a kind of a strange thing to say, but they smell better too. Yeah, yeah you're right. You, you, you know, in when in the winter time here, I fire up all the old tube gear. Because I like to see the lights on. I like to keep the electrolytic capacitors active. And it, it, it there's an aroma of, I guess, tube warmth. Yeah, yeah. It, it's great, and it, and it helps heat up the shack. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the other thing that you, uh, you'll you find that is a lot of the older tube gear um, uh, is perfectly usable on the air today if you do uh, a few things to fix uh, problems, like common problems like uh, frequency drift. But uh, they they sound really good if you can if you can tame the the frequency drift problem. I mean you know that we we have people here that say uh, you drifted ten hertz in, in the last <laughs> in, yeah. in the last transmission. You know if you can if you can resolve that issue, uh, tubes are very good. But uh, on the other hand, tube equipment, especially the older stuff, it is actually serviceable. Yeah. I mean you you can see the parts. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, som sometimes, if it's not performing too well, pull the tube out of the socket, put a little deoxid on it, run it back and forth through the tube socket a few times, and it's fixed. Yep. So, I mean, there's uh, there's also uh, the fact that you can s really see how the circuit, if you have a schematic, you can look at the tubes and you can follow things. If you've got a solid-state device with surface mount, you, you have no clue what does what where. I mean, it's yeah, just... The, the amazing thing that about that, though, is when you open up and you look in these things for the first time, especially if you've been working on solid-state gear for a while, I agree with you completely. It's because it's all discrete components and you could follow the circuit. But you realize that they were using what we would call today kind of ugly techniques. It's yeah. like point-to-point wiring. It's all very three-dimensional. You've got resistors cutting diagonally up, up in the air, capacitors yeah. sort of hanging off. Uh, terminal strips and everything else. It's pretty wild, and uh, it's not for the faint of heart. And if you're used to just everything being laid out nice on one flat PC board, well, you got to be prepared for a bit of culture shock when you <laughs> jump jump into that HT37. Right. Well, well, you know that's uh, that's kind of interesting. Some of the uh, some of that point point wiring, you look at it, uh, you you gulp a little hard. And I, I got to be honest with you, some some manufacturers do a much did a much better job than others. 
for instance, uh, sideband engineers that, that produce the SBE33 and 34, the early SBE33s, you could tell some um, people who were doing military uh, fabrication built those because every solder connection had a red dot on it. That let you know that that, that was soldered and inspected. And uh, some of these others uh, that came off the line, it looks like the connections were welded, <laughs> and it was done in the factory, you know. So you, you say, wow, you know, you, you kind of wonder who put that Not together. Not to mention so. Heath kits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, but, I, I picked up a VF-1 that I, I, I always say that when I opened it up, I, it was the VFO that went into the DX-100, and they sold it as a separate unit. And I, I just said, oh, my God, this thing was, produ was, was put together by a, a seriously... Uh, uh, crazed soldering school dropout i mean it was yeah. uh, bad the welded connections not soldered oh man they, they look they look like they were welded yeah I mean, they're they, just like they clumps of clumps of solder kind of hanging off uh and i want to i i just want to also mention you know vacuum tubes are not everybody's cup of tea but the internet has is just such a wealth of information you can look up uh there's the uh, boat anchor manual archive that has uh, manuals for for literally every piece of radio gear that was made in the past. Uh, there are a couple couple of other uh, specialty sites that have information, and uh, of course the YouTube videos. Uh, uh, I, I I mean that's absolutely amazing. You go up there and do a search on uh, some particular radio, and someone's made a video on it. You you learn things from that that you would not otherwise. Uh, uh, be able to figure out yourself. You say, oh, yeah, that's how that's done. So uh, uh, I, I, that's why I said the four R's about research, read, read, and research. Uh, spend a little time doing that before you uh, power up the radio, and uh, you might be surprised. Uh, you know, the other thing, too, is there's some um, really... You know, I, I, one thing, I just before I forget, Mike Rainey, how Michael Rainey, AA1TJ, has a great saying on that, and it's along very much the same lines, and it's something like... Um, one hour in the library can save you three days at the workbench. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And and you know the other thing too is that there are some uh, pretty interesting projects. Uh, and and I, I haven't really attacked one of these as yet, but it's uh, kind of uh, in the back of my mind. There are a couple two-tube single sideband transceivers or transmitters that that are floating around the internet. They use uh, two 6U8 uh, tubes, uh, which is uh, a triode and a pentode and an envelope. And uh, I, I can't believe how simple it is. So that might be uh, a lot of fun. Uh, you can even use a homebrew filter with that. And well, uh, I, you know, I got, I'm so glad you mentioned that. This wasn't a setup, but I have, I'm reaching over here. I have right here, I'm going to put a picture of it up. Talking about 6U8 tubes, those are the tubes that I used in the 80 and 40 meter um, uh, Superhead receiver that I built. Lou McCoy wrote an article, I think it was like 1963-1964 in QST. It was called A Mate for the Mighty Midget. And they had a, they had previously, they had earlier had a, a contest for building a, a Mighty Midget transmitter, a, trans, a simple tube transmitter. And I think the first person to work all states with it won some sort of a prize. McCoy came and built and designed a companion receiver it uses three 6U8 tubes. It's a complete super hat using only three 6U8 tubes. I mean, it's got a, it's got a solid-state diode in there for a for detector. But great stuff. And I, I, I built it. This is one of my few real complete tube projects. But uh, but I love that little receiver. And I recently put in a, uh, a TOCO 
455 KC crystal filter and it's great fun but you're right you can do great things with those uh, triode pentode combinations yeah so now, now you need to build the two tube uh, single sideband transmitter to go with that then then, 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 then you're all set to go you're well, right. well, you're, I'm you're planning a seed again you are and, and, and I feel like that I'm, this is what I'm gonna be doing now for the next month because you just <laughs> said it and I already have a plan for doing it because this is one thing I wanted to mention Pete you know that the, one of the one of the showstoppers for me as a young ham in home brewing was metalwork. I mean, I, I was you know they you, you saw these great um, you know rigs and QST and they had this you know beautiful chassis and the tubes were coming up and everything was perfect and everything else. And I would get a hold of a chassis and start trying to cut holes in it. And I could barely get the hole in there for one two because I didn't have any green leaf punches. I was struggling with the, you know, my dad's uh, electric drill with the wrong kind of bits, and, and it was a real mess. So I developed this kind of uh, deep fear and, and uh, dislike for, for metalwork. But with this project, the 6U8 project, I found a way around it, and that's the Benton Harbor lunchbox. I, I had a whole bunch of these Benton Harbor lunchboxes in various states of decomposition, and so I stripped one. It had all the holes already made. It had the power supply in there already. And I just built the uh, this little receiver sure. on the chassis of a Benton Harbor lunchbox, and you know what? I got another one. I got another one sitting in the in the in the <laughs> box there. So that could hey. be the transmitter. Look yeah. You, look what you've done. Yeah. Look what you've done, Pete. Yeah. I I think I might have the circuit for the for the six U eight two 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 single sideband transmitter. Don't send uh, it to me. Don't. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I I think I got it. I think I got it. I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Hey, I'm going to do it. I want to I I show you this. Uh, something that you, you mentioned, like tubes with uh, with lots of uh, tubes inside the envelope. I, I have in my hand here, and I'm opening up the box, the uh, the GE electronic tube box. I have a 6T9. Yeah. Compactron. Man, the Compactron. It's yeah. sort of like It's sort of like an IC, but for tubes. It's got like 13 pins on the bottom, and I, I forget what did they have inside. How many how many tubes are in there? Two uh, or three. I three, think. three, three. I think there's yeah. three of them in there. Holy cow! Yeah, you could do a lot of you could do a lot of work with the compactron. There was a rig out there called the 69er, 69er, yeah. and uh, I never built it, but I got the tube. And there's a lot of guys. There's a lot. There's a whole kind of subculture of uh, 69 tube circuit builders. So maybe I yeah. get the whole maybe I get the whole sideband transceiver. In the, with the 69, what do you think? Yeah, I think you can do it. I think you can do it. Maybe you uh, could do it. You could do it. I couldn't do it. <laughs> As a matter of fact, that 69 showed up in a Galaxy 300 uh, made by World Radio Laboratories. It was a humongous. As a matter of fact, there are a couple of those 69s in that Galaxy 300. And uh, this this is a big radio, kind of nice looking. You can find some pictures of it. But I think there are two of those 69s in that radio. Wow. And at the opposite end of the extreme, in preparation for today's show, I dug up something else that I have in the junk box. And are you familiar with a tube known as the 6CW4? Oh, a new Vister! Ah, <laughs> you know your tubes, my friend. <laughs> I got it sitting here because I have um, something I've mentioned on the show a long time ago. I have a, uh, a two-meter converter produced by Parks Electronics Laboratory in, and, the, and wait for it, a, a place near and dear to the hearts of all ham radio homebrewers, Beaverton, Oregon. There you go. There you go. All the kinds of good things come out of Beaverton. But yep. anyway, uh, this thing is uh, it's a 
it's a down converter for listening to two meters. It, the input is at 144 megahertz, and the output is at 14 megahertz, oddly enough. And it's got one, two, three, four of these six CW4 Nuvista tubes in it. It's got a neat little power supply. And every time I look at it, I'm tempted to do something. I mean, the two meter down converter really doesn't do much for me, but it's got the it's got all of what uh, George Dobbs would refer to as the socketry. It's got all the the switches and plugs and and connectors already there. It's got a power supply, a tube type power supply, and it's got three six W fours. I mean, I don't know. I find myself thinking this could be very could very easily become a direct conversion receiver of some sort. What? What what you need to do is go on the internet and look up N4TRB, and N4TRB has a has a has scanned and has available all the back issues of the GE ham news and RCA ham tips, and there is a six CW4 transmitter in there. Oh wow! All right. Yeah, so they're, they're, that's a really good source of old-time uh, radios uh, to, to look at what was presented in the RCA ham tips and the GE ham news. Matter of fact, they have the, uh, uh, the Sideband Junior, which uh, is an all-tube. It was a phasing rig by General Electric. Uh, that, a lot of guys got started on Sideband building that, that radio. So uh, that that's a good... N4TRB is, uh, is the uh, call sign. Look that up. He has a site... In, Tango Radio Bravo or Delta? Uh, Bravo. Okay, gotcha. All right. Yeah. All right, we'll N4 check that out. TRB, that's a good good resource for you. And as a matter of fact, it's dangerous uh, looking at that because um, I, I looked at that in, uh, in about 1959, 1960. Two hams in Ohio built what's called the LM3. And essentially, they home-built... Uh, something across between a Collins KWM1 and the KWM2. It even even looks like it, and uh, they have a Collins filter in there. And just like the the Collins radios, uh, it only covered 200 kilohertz uh, per segment. Uh, they used an ARC5 uh, tuning capacitor. It was all vacuum tube and only put out about five watts. But uh, it was designed as a mobile rig, and uh, they had a pair of 4-125s in the trunk. So this was like a 500 watt radio. Anyway, I looked at that and I said, uh, hmm, I bet I could build one like that in a solid state. And that's, that's how I built the KWM4 is looking at that, uh, that, that uh, article that came out of the GE Ham News. So um, that, that stuff is dangerous. It gets you started. But I'm going to send you the schematic for the two-tube 6U8 single sideband transmitter. I'm definitely going to do that, Bill. <laughs> All right, okay. Well, winter is coming. I'm going to yeah. be something here. Well, well you know, the thing is... Uh, you see projects like that. You were talking about metalwork. I wanted to go back to that point a second. Um, I, I made an investment here uh, a couple of years ago, Harbor Freight, and I bought a uh, a a brake, a, uh, a bench top brake, an 18-inch brake, so you can bend metal. And uh, it, it is amazing what you can do with that. And you know, you don't necessarily have to uh, bend aluminum uh to uh, to make good enclosures or shields or, or brackets or assemblies uh, i go to home depot and i buy this uh, flashing that they use for, for like on the roof around gutters and chimneys and that sort of stuff and they sell sheets of flashing uh, piece uh, six by eight uh, for less than a buck and uh, it's easy to cut with uh, a pair of tin snips and you can bend it on the brake 
And uh, the, the matter of fact, the thing that's so nice about it is that it's galvanized metal. You can solder it. Oh, so man. I, I, so I built up some enclosures uh, out of this material, and uh, you can solder right to it. So it, it's kind of, I, I kind of intersperse that with a PC board. And so there's a lot that can be done. And uh, the, the trick is, because the middle is awful thin gauge, what you can do is uh, drill all your holes first with the, the green meat chassis punch and then bend it up and then uh, just solder the corners, and you've got a very rigid structure. So, oh, nice. Uh, That's so, beautiful. Yeah. Matter of fact, I'll send you some pictures of, of a couple of chassis that I made uh, using the brake and using that galvanized metal. And then we'll put that up on the blog. Let people yeah. See. Yeah, so you, nice. there's th there's things you can do that, uh, and and once you get it bolted together, it becomes very rigid. So uh, th th there's no reason why you can't make your own chassis, and uh, it's just you gotta you gotta be you gotta spend a little time laying it out, and you need a pair of tin snips, uh, <laughs> and yeah. you need a square, and and the thirty dollar break from Harbor Freight, and you're in business. So oh man, very important too, because right now, I mean. Metal boxes are becoming amazingly oh. expensive. It's unbelievable. It's like it's yeah. like the most expensive part of the radio. Yeah. And so yeah. Uh, you make roll your own. It's a, that's a, it's a good. Yeah. Thing. Hey, yeah. Remember, uh, talking about resources, one thing I wanted to mention is that that little magazine, Electric Radio. I don't know if you're a subscriber, but I was for many years. It's a great magazine, and uh, it's uh, uh, folks who are interested in old old radio and tubes should take a look at it. Uh, good stuff. And then. Um, I, Oh, yeah, one thing I wanted to mention, oh, well, a couple of little odds and ends. Um, Mike Rainey, who we mentioned before, was involved in, uh, he's involved in all kinds of amazing kind of, uh, kind of off-the-beaten-path kinds of projects, some of them involving tubes. And a year or so ago, maybe two years ago, they got involved in wanting to uh, commemorate the Sputnik, uh, the flight of Sputnik. And so they, were, they got a hold of some old Russian tubes, and they were trying to recreate the uh, the tube type transmitter that was in the Sputnik that uh, was you know beeping out HI as it flew overhead. So uh, Mike sent me a couple of the Russian tubes. I still have them kicking around. They look like little test Pencil tubes. Tube. Yeah, Pencil little tube. wires sticking off the yeah. edge. Yeah. And sometimes I think some of the similar kind of tubes were used as proximity fuses and artillery pieces for a while. Yep. Yep. So uh, kind of a real strange uh, kind of history there. Yeah. Have you ever seen uh, Mike's shack? Oh, man, yeah, I know. I put pictures of it. The underground shack, the hobbit hole. We call it the hobbit hole. You know, he's the, uh, we, we named him the QRP uh, Poet Laureate. <laughs> Jeez. He's, he's, man. He's, you know, he's, he'll, he'll be the only one to survive when yeah. Armageddon comes. He'll be down yeah. there. Yeah. Home brewing transmitters. <laughs> hey, uh, I, uh, I want to ask you about one thing related to tubes, and that is... Um, AM, the cult of AM, and its undeniable allure. What do you think? Well, I, I got to be honest with you. I I didn't realize, uh, I guess, until recently, how much AM AM operation there is today. And uh, one of the favorite watering uh, watering holes is around uh, 3870 on 75 meters. And then somewhere at the very high end of 40 meters, uh, like 7290, 7295, quite, quite, a, quite an AM uh, group out here on the West Coast. And so, um, uh, matter of fact, that's another reason for finding a boat anchor uh, somewhere for not too much money. Mo most of them have AM capability, so uh, it's, it's pretty cool. Now, there's a plus side to the AM, is it's far simpler to build an AM 
transmitter than it is a single sideband trans transmitter because no filter. Yeah. And uh, you can do all kinds of neat things like uh, screen grid modulation. You can do plate modulation. You can do uh, cathode modulation. I mean, there's there's all ways to do it. Uh, there's heising modulation, various ways of uh, introducing uh, the audio into the uh, RF chain. And uh, so um, it, it, the radio has become pretty simple. And uh, matter of fact, at that end, you were mentioning the Bettenhaber lunchbox. Uh, that was a 5-watt uh, AM transmitter and uses yep. one tube, a 6CX8. Yep. So, so there, there, there you go. Uh, you know, it's uh, they're easy to build, but... Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys on it. Uh, you you certainly can tell the signal's a lot broader, and uh, you know it's got a little audio fidelity to it. It's not so much restricted as you are with uh, single sideband. Well, so uh, I, I thought about that when you talked about how much better audio sounds when it's coming out of tube type gear, um, and I, there's I, there's there's something about AM. It just it, probably because the carrier kind of silences the frequency. And the, you don't, you can't even hear any static even between when the guy stops talking. It's still quiet. Yeah. There's a certain sound to it. I mean, I I started out in ham radio in the early 70s, listening to the uh, uh, 75 meter AM group up in the Northeast. Some of them are still on the air. Um, Tim, the BA1HLR, is still very active, and I, his voice hasn't changed very much since the early 70s. Um, I have here uh, some real serious AM equipment. I have a DX100. Sitting yes. up here, fired yes. up and ready to go. I, I could yes. become. A, I could be a tall ship on the on the. Uh, <laughs> yes. One of, one of the problems with it, though, is we're in a, a neighborhood where the uh, we're kind of densely populated here. The neighbors are quite close, and I know that if I fire this thing up, I'd be getting into all kinds of electronics. Um, yeah. I, mean, I don't have yeah. too much trouble with five. With I don't have too much trouble with five watts on uh, on seventeen meter sideband, but. Man, if I put 100 watts out on 160 meters... <laughs> yeah, you, you'd light up the Christmas tree lights. Blowing some fuses <laughs> and stuff. I'd have the neighborhood yeah. over here. But my DX100, I want to say, was, was was a gift to me, a special gift from uh, uh, John Zaruba, K2ZA. It was his dad's rig, and I have it sitting here. And, uh, and John, if you're listening, you know, uh, thanks again. And it's, 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 it's still in a it's very special spot here in the ham shack, and I... I may uh, I may fire it up and and risk the wrath of the neighbors this winter, perhaps on 160 meters. Well, the only other the the short side of the DX100 100B is uh, if you're not careful, you get a hernia moving that thing. Well, that's the it was the origin <laughs> of the. I mean, that's where the the term boat anchors came from. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> you know, uh, that thing was heavy. It's heavy. I think I think the shipping weight was like 99 pounds or something like yeah, that. And yeah. It's, and it's all in those big heavy iron transformers but that gets back to what you said before about being careful about firing firing these things up because if you're not careful a small problem could become a really big problem because yep. if you if you burn out the power transformer or the rf choke or the the mod transformer on one of these rigs just because the capacitor is blown or something like that then you really got trouble because yep. replacing them that's you know replacing a filter cap that's no big deal but, you know, replacing one of the big pieces of iron in there is a, a major and expensive operation. By the way, while we're at it, um, I, and I don't know if you're familiar with this company, but a, a place that where you can get some uh, electrolytic caps that, that will fit in a lot of these older boat anchors is an uh, outfit called Hayseed Hamfest. Have you ever heard of them? No, I haven't. Hayseed Hamfest. They got a website, and they, uh, they actually custom build electrolytic capacitors or they'll find you something close, and and they've got it categorized like uh, 
if you've got a national you know type of receiver or helicrafters or a Collins they've got Drake they've got specific units that they've custom built as a matter of fact um, I had a Drake uh, a T4X that was missing uh, one of the capacitors and uh, they had a standard stock item and <laughs> when I got it it included the solder braid to take the old one out and a piece of solder so I could solder a new one in. I mean, these guys are really customer service oriented. That That's what was in the box. So Holy you can't cow. Surprised <laughs> yeah. say, I'm surprised they didn't send you a soldering iron. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> really good guy. He's a ham, and it's a family operation, Hayseed Ham Fest. Well, I'm going to have to look him up because, you know, um, my Drake 2B, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but it's giving me trouble. Yeah. The Drake and 2B, my loyal Drake 2B, you know it, what it, you know what it is. It's got it's got a little bit of AC hum on it now. Oh, sounds like you need to replace that cap. And uh, sometimes what they do is they actually uh, take the modern capacitors and they manage to stuff them in a can, yeah. and they give you the uh, they give you the footprint so that it'll drop right in. So oh, I know, uh, I know. That's yeah, that's a that's a, that, you know you've seen I've seen guys doing that. You know they they just carve out the the old dead capacitor and stuff it with more modern capacitors and that's how they do it all right so wow tubes. so tube tubes can be fun but you got to be careful you got to yeah. you got to not electrocute yourself and uh, you know the other thing is i got a variac here anytime i have a piece of tube equipment i'll put it on the variac and then just bring it up slowly you were mentioning the point about blowing the transformers some of these things have been sitting around for a long time. You get to reform the capacitors, and you prevent that uh, that sudden surge current going in there from blowing everything and smoking the whole radio. So uh, uh, a very act that you may find at a ham fest is worth its weight in gold. Agreed. I have one here, and I, I, I do use it when I'm bringing these things up. Hey, listen, Pete, I think we're running out of time. But before I go, I want to just see if I can fire up the, R, the, the, uh, the regen and do a little bit of a band. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hold on a second. Let's see. Can you hear me? Yeah. All right. I'm moving the thing over. All right. Now, let's see. I'm going to turn up the regeneration. I hear it. Is that beautiful or what? Yes, absolutely. That's, that's Radio Havana, Cuba. That must be in the six megahertz band, somewhere around there. No, it's right at about. Hold on. This is around um, between eleven and twelve megahertz. Oh, okay. Really nice. Oh, absolutely. Hold on. There they are again. Well, that's enough. We've had some success. There you go. Yeah. No, it really sounds good, Bill. Excellent. I'm having fun with it. It's it's, it's a little tricky to tune and everything else, but uh, but it's good. All right. Well, Pete, thanks very much for being with us again. Always a always a pleasure. We'll have to think of the next topic. I don't know what to think about this. I, uh, I hope you'll come hey, back. Yeah, maybe the next time uh, we can talk about Arduinos. Oh, all right. There we go. We'll, we'll take a complete... Uh, quantum leap in, uh, in in technology and, and we'll move up to that all right well listen have a have, have a great weekend and uh, we'll, we'll try to get this on the internet as quickly as we can thanks for all the good advice and good stories and uh, 
and and I think we have to re remember remind our friends be careful out there with the high voltage. It's uh, it could yep. really zap you. Yep, absolutely. All right, Pete. Thanks very much. We'll see you. Bye bye. Seven three. Seven three. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported, and there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at cafepress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!